Hey everyone, welcome back to Engineering Etc. My name is Tony Casera. I'm a software engineer here in Los Angeles, California, working for a remote startup. And joining me is my friend and colleague, Gabriel Grover. Hello, everyone. Good to be back on this beautiful day. It's a beautiful day for some hot takes. <laughs> Today on the show, we're going to be talking about GraphQL and mostly our own feelings on it, which is to say that we don't think that it's as great as it could be and talk about some of the pitfalls and stuff that we've fallen into. This is going to be a really fun episode. Yeah. Apollo? Oh, yeah. Let's get right into it. I got a lot of thoughts on GraphQL. (laughs) I think we're going to agree with each other. In JavaScript world, the entire ecosystem surrounding GraphQL is just one big beta test. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And all all the companies that bought into it right at the beginning, just I feel like they all got tricked into being beta testers. (laughs) Well, and like everyone says, oh, well, if you use TypeScript, it's not so bad, but the code generation, it's the constant thorn in my side. Anywhere that I've had GraphQL and code generation, it's always something where like, and this is really common too, where you have a backend language that's different from your frontend language, right? So what I've seen that's most common is a Python, Python backend, you're usually running like Flask or Pyramid, using Graphene for the types, and then a frontend with Apollo, GraphQL, code generation. And then you run into all these problems between maybe and non-nullable types where backend isn't so careful about what, you know, they're requiring for their parameters and everything. And then the frontend has to accommodate for that by having all these maybe types, these possibly nulls. And then you can never have your types be explicitly what they are because you can be like hey it's only ever a string but graphql says no 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 it could be (laughs) null (laughs) and then you that just exponentially explodes when you have structs or or json right because you have to do oh my god chaining down like a like i've been at jobs where the levels you have to go into a response from a graphql endpoint is like eight levels deep And you have to coerce the type, right? So, like, you could have a a success data response. You could also have an error response. And TypeScript doesn't really care if you know for sure, like, oh, I'm accessing this property that only happens on success. Well, it doesn't exist on error, so you better wrap that in an if statement first to make sure that we're coercing the correct type here, or else it's not okay. That's that's an issue with, like, the, the, the types for the Apollo library that need to be changed. Like, because you can... There are, like Zod does a really good job of this, right? If um, Zod, it's a type assertion library at runtime, so you get I've never heard of it, huh? Yeah, so if you're dealing with, it helps a lot, like if you're dealing with REST endpoints, right? Or any you're you're trying to jump between. There's like a barrier between two different environments, so like a backend and a client, or two different servers. Like there's, let's just say you're trying to communicate. And you're not sure what you're, you're trying to pass data over the wire, right? And you there's no guarantee of what you're getting from that outside world, right? So you can use Zod to do. It has a really nice API for you to create a type for for TypeScript, but along with that, you get a runtime check that it does for you, oh. and it's really nice. So, but this is for hot takes. <laughs> I like Zod. I mean, it's like maybe you you don't like it, and we can do this segment ag- again on a different episode. But anyways, where, what, what were we talking about? Well, just like GraphQL, like you would start with Apollo, but I feel like GraphQL in general. So in general, I do not like using GraphQL, and that is yeah. to, one thing I wanted like caveat with. 
we had someone come and give a talk at one of my companies once that was like, here's how you use GraphQL in like an ideal, like this is how it should be used. And they like set up with a Node.js backend and a TypeScript front end. And all of that worked really well. I was like, this is beautiful. Like this, if everyone set up GraphQL like this, I would be on board. No one sets up GraphQL like this. It's it's always like this afterthought that they add on that developers go, I want to work with GraphQL because I want it on my resume. And like it, right. it doesn't feel like anyone ever uses it for the benefit of of being able to, you know, only call or to be able to change your your query and just get the data and it's there. Sure. Well, you have to make sure that the resolvers on the back end are set up correctly to handle that. I've run into so many errors where I have a model that is being fetched by a query. And I go, oh, hey, I know that this model has this parameter. I'm just going to delete the one I'm not using and grab that one instead. And I get all these errors all of a sudden because it turns out that the way the model's being put in there, they're just pulling each property from the model. They're not actually putting the whole model as being available. And then you find out there's some reason why, because some property is not actually pulled from the database. It's generated in real time. And it's just this whole mess where you don't get any of the benefits that GraphQL promises. Totally. Yeah. I think one of the main purposes for it is when you have a separate, when you have separate teams, you know, like, or a larger organization. You mean for federation? For, I don't know what you mean by that. Federation is when you take multiple services and combine them into one thing with GraphQL. So you can have like multiple services where you're making one query and it's making sense of that data and returning it all to the one query. Oh, no. I'm talking about like when you have like a front end team and a back-end team, right? Mm-hmm. Or you just have some, like, client-server relationship sure. where your, like, your front-end team needs, there needs to be some contract, right, between both your client and your server in terms of what data is being passed for and what do you expect for certain things, right? When you have people who are only working on back-end or only working on front-end, you need a contract like that because it just helps with, to make to move things faster, right? If you can get a sufficient guarantee on what's coming back from this request, web request you're doing. Yeah, I think a lot of companies they subscribe to that. Like the end-to-end testing is not quite as important as like contract testing. I think they even call it, where it's like you're testing two services. You want to know that the contract is agreed upon between them. What they right and GraphQL is supposed to remove the need for that testing, right? Because the gra- the contract's embedded in your schema that's right yeah you pull the schema.json you've got it right there it says this is everything that's available for yeah. the back end so I, that i get that's a good thing to do i think there's like way better tools that don't require you to learn graphql and learn all the caveats around it and get this weird especially on the front like this like you're saying like the the nullable types and like all this like you can you can accomplish that with rest it just takes a little bit of work you probably have to write some internal sdk you have to maintain but then your client team is just they're just doing function calls at the end of the day it just makes so much more sense to me like doing it that way protobufs does a good job of of doing the same thing like having just that contract where you just have a remote procedure call you have a function, so your your front end team you don't have to ramp someone up on GraphQL. You just go here's a module with all these functions. Just call this function, and you're good to go. Yeah, AWS does a good job of that with their SDK for accessing. I mean, well, I say good job. It's it works, but like, yeah, that's I think that's like a good example of one that probably a lot of people who are listening have had exposure to is the the AWS SDK. 
for what uh, for for accessing their services so like you know they have a uh-huh. cli they also have an sdk right. so like if you want to programmatically generate lambda functions or something like that which like i did at a previous job at bethesda like it's pretty good like yeah. it's documentation could always be better with AWS, but AWS, part of what they do is they help customers optimize their totally. their deployments, right? So well, it's an SDK in a language you know, hopefully, and you don't have to learn... A new GraphQL. query language, yeah. yeah. It's not just, it's not learning the query language. It's just so much other stuff, and, and it's kind of where Apollo comes in. I was just going to say, I think something else I wanted to mention too about GraphQL is just the potential for shooting yourself in the foot is so high because you have these resolvers on the back end and they're kind of magical to anyone who's accessing them. They're just abstracted away. And anywhere I've worked that's had GraphQL resolvers on the back end, there have been these incredible infrastructure leaks in a way where you run a certain GraphQL query too many times and suddenly like the whole system's being pulled down because of it. Right. Yeah. That's the N plus one query thing. Yes, right? yes, and I've act- so I've actually caused an N plus one error at a previous job, <laughs> and it wasn't actually because of GraphQL. This is probably another hot take to have at some point, but like it was an ORM SQL Alchemy around uh, yeah around <laughs> PostgreSQL, which like first of all I'm not a backend engineer and I should not be writing backend queries, but for some reason I had been tasked with this very complicated query to do, <laughs> and I learned that the the problem was that you don't iterate in JavaScript on SQL queries ever that was what i that was my mistake is that i did an iteration it was python actually sorry i did an iteration in python running queries and that caused the m plus one error if i had just written the correct sql query that could you know get all the iterations that i needed with the correct variable inputs it would have never happened and someone who was a much more like a staff back in engineer showed me this and i was like oh my god this makes so much more sense why do we have these iterations that are code base and he's like because i can't review everyone's code and because those just didn't happen to break prod unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i guess like yeah there's like n plus one aside most of the exposure i have to graphql is just is from the front end most of my back end stuff is not working on like a monolith app it's separate services and you can kind of just you can get away with just simple rest endpoints with that or like using an event system like there's not really uh i haven't come across a need really for it on the back end the only the main need i or the main use case i see is that like contract between front end and back end like just communication that that layer but what you use for to to communicate with the graphql server from the front end is most likely apollo and i just i've ran into so many problems with apollo i think it's trying to do way too many things it's trying to be the way you query a graphql server it's trying to be your state manager it's also trying to be your cash yeah <laughs> your cash mechanism and the cash mechanism is oh my god like i've like first of all it's way too loose like you can you can literally change the caching policy each call to the use query hook and this is probably just a comment on the the team that set up the project or like the the standards you have at, at your at the places i've worked but like front-end engineers aren't worried about like the intricacies of cache configuration but if you give them a requirement, they're going <laughs> to implement it without knowing. Because it is really easy to really mess up your cache in, in Apollo just on some uh, some requests you do buried in 
your whole component tree, right? So we actually had this problem at my work the other day where because the way that Apollo identifies objects in its cache, Mm -hmm. if you don't call for like as part of the query an explicit like ID. So like we use UUID at my work, not ID. And Mm -hmm. so because of that, we had this problem where we have an infinite scroll on a page that's fetching data and there's each one of these cards on the page fetches this uh, basically a subset of that data as well. Yeah. So what happens is we don't call for, we don't set the ID for those objects in it. And so what happens is it looks in the, the tree and it sees that this data already exists. And basically we ended up in this situation where it was overwriting existing data with the new fetches that came. So you'd have like 10 cards load on the page, you'd have the initial request. And then inside of those 10 cards, requests are being made. But because there's some warehouse like IDs that are being made, that are not being mapped properly in GraphQL, it's overwriting the ones from the initial call. <laughs> and so we ended up in this thing where basically you try to scroll down for your infinite loop and it keeps refetching the original request because there's no ID set. And it's it's such a gigantic mess. And like once we realized it's like it's the ID, like we were able to fix it. Like it was actually a very small change that we just had to like move a couple properties around and make sure that there was an ID mapped for those objects. But no one teaches you this. No one tells you like this is a potential foot gun in in GraphQL and specifically like in Apollo's caching. But oh my (laughs) God. Almost the exact same problem. It was infinite (laughs) scroll. And what it was is like same symptom. Infinite scroll, only the original was getting fetched. So you would just scroll to the bottom. You would see like a little loading bar and nothing would load. It was just be what was there originally yeah so to do pagination graphql when you set up the apollo client you have to i forget what it is like there's some callback function you have to set up to govern that that fetching Uh like what you do when it's refetching and how you append to that that list oh that's interesting i've never actually had to set up infinite scroll in apollo before yeah so and the way you designate that query is the name of the field. But that the name of that field is passed through a JavaScript object and it's not type checked. So what happened is there's some drift in the, the contract <laughs> in GraphQL, which this is supposed to we're 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 now kind of going against like the whole, what I view as the whole purpose of GraphQL is for that contract between a server and a client. So there was a change in that field name. That part where you configure that is not type checked. So it just stayed there. So there was no policy for pagination on that screen because it looked, it would look through, through that, look through the, object i guess to see if does this field have a pagination policy and it's no because it's named differently now yes yeah (laughs) and so when you have to fix that there's no errors you you look at the code you're like this is implemented perfectly fine there's no weird like state management issue you're doing in your component everything looks and you just have to get lucky and go like let me look at how we configured the whole apollo client for this entire project maybe there's yeah an issue there and and you have to use all the apollo like methods too right like you have to use the use query the use lazy query or the whatever hooks are auto-generated by the code gen 
Yeah, even doing all that and doing it correctly, you still have you the bug. You don't catch it, yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, so that's just like another foot gun. And I've, I've, I've also seen issue with Apollo Cash where the, for some reason, because of queries you're making throughout the whole project, like on some screen, the cache keeps getting invalidated and you get like an infinite reload like <sighs> in your react app and it's uh, it's just so annoying like if you have a junior working on this issue or not even junior just a, a normal engineer they're forced to change like the caching policy for that screen which is scary you don't which want is to scary. With that yeah. and then so now you have to have like all the engineers have to get together and look at this and look at the specific issue and have to make a, a decision that could make a decision between caching data or overfetching it or changing the policy for, for your entire app. <laughs> it's just like wait all the engineers at your company get together to do that we just kind of do it and ship it and hope that it works <laughs> you know what though i will say this because I've, I've been wanting to say this for a while so i've used apollo at two companies i used something called web relay at another company uh-uh. and it's it's basically an alternative to apollo the difference being that the setups, it's very different from Apollo in that you have to follow a naming structure when you're like naming the methods that you use GraphQL with and everything. But they had native support for fragments in your queries, which I think Apollo does support now, but maybe didn't in the beginning. It's nice. Like Web Relay, once you got the hang of it, I felt like made a lot more sense than Apollo does where in Web Relay, the store is the the GraphQL layer as well. And it's like very explicit about being the same as the way that you're fetching the GraphQL. So like if you want the data from the store, you always have to use the GraphQL query itself. You don't get this hook or whatever that you're like reusing. You're, you're reusing the query every time. <laughs> and there's no way to mutate that store either, which Apollo is, I think, a little more loose on like the way that you can like mutate the store. Web Relay like gives you a couple of escape hatches for like optimistic states like hey i think that this is going to you know come back true so i want to show the user the ui before it returns like it gives you stuff like that but like to actually go in and change the store is very difficult in web relay and that's by design because they want to keep it as like like immutable as possible when it comes to maintaining the graphql layer between front end and back end but i mean like i said that was problematic too in a lot of ways also so i don't know if that's like the answer to apollo i would just not use graphql personally if i had a choice <laughs> yeah me either <laughs> and, and most people are going to rpc now like you said like even one of the last companies yeah. i worked at was like we are fully invested on going to grpc and getting off of our graphql layer as a as the the de facto way between services to talk i think they were planning to leave some graphql as like a, maybe like there'd be a data layer between front end and back end just for front end to maintain but yeah there's another thing with that too. It's another thing you have to you have to learn if you're doing uh, TypeScript on front end and back end. I just don't really see a reason for using GraphQL. There's there's a pretty cool library called TRPC. If you're able to have TypeScript on your back end and front end, it's something I would definitely go for. But my company we don't. It's TypeScript, Rust in the back end. Like it, there's there's different. Type systems. <laughs> yeah, there's different languages, right, for our services. So we just try to keep them small. And if we have a service that's doing like a few things, we just maintain it. We write a SDK that wraps it. So clients can just basically have an RPC like thing where they can just call functions and you have tests wrapped around that SDK. So if something changes on your service side that violates the 
the contract, your test will pick it up. I think it empowers whoever's working on your the client portion of your, your product as well because they just have functions that they maintain and they work on and they know instead of having this like black box of Apollo that's you have to run to generate your TypeScript types for you. You have no control over it. And if something's broken, you have to dig through <laughs> GitHub threads. and. Oh, yeah. You have to go in the back end and see what changed. Like I, I like every week I have to fix the schema because something breaks. But we even have like a thing that auto generates comments for the back end says, hey, this is going to break this part of the front end. And they just ignore and merge anyway. <laughs> and like, so it's like... There's there's no way to like get around that that you're just going to be fixing stuff all the time unless like you know you have like a really strong community around the GraphQL of like hey let's do this in a way that's iterative that won't break the front end like immediately. Thanks for listening so much, everyone. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you want to get more episodes like this, and we'll see you in the next one. See you guys. Have a good day.